AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. I'm Bindu Sundaresan. I'm part of the AT&T security consulting team. I come up with custom security solutions that address specific needs of a customer. I'm excited to be on ThreatTrack. I've watched this while coming into AT&T and you know, even before I had this job, this was a very cool initiative and I'm so glad to be a part of it. All right guys, I thought we'd talk a little bit about threat hunting. So I picked up a couple pieces in the, out in the news lately about uh, creating hunting programs and just sort of what threat hunting is. Um, just thought maybe we could have a little discussion about that. We talked about threat hunting, which is a, sort of a new concept, something we've been doing for a long time. It's more of a active uh, threat analysis where you're actually thinking about your adversary. Threat hunting has been around for a while, although today it's got more of a relevance because it's tied into threat intelligence. Threat hunting is one of those things that is, has been really around, but it's getting a lot more popularity. Uh, from my perspective, I think it's important, you know, it is a little bit of a buzzword, and I think, you know, groups like us have been doing this for a long time. We maybe never called it hunting. Really, part of a hunting program is knowing who is potentially coming after you, right. and knowing what to protect, how to protect it, where your most critical assets are, what your critical business processes are, and you know, and then also how to create a program, how to either retask your current analysts or create a separate um, threat hunting team, or do a little bit of both, where your your security analysts, your SOC team, uh, have some hunting responsibilities as well. Um, just sort of what the trends are in the industry in terms of doing uh, proactive hunting as well as the you know, more passive traditional security analysis. Yeah, we are seeing a mindset shift in terms of, you know, oh, this could never happen to me or what could somebody go after in my organization to the step where now organizations are starting to think about what would a hacker want to do? You know, where yeah. would a hacker go to get my data? Right. What right. are some of the points on my network which are sort of most vulnerable? Or where is the data flow that is potentially going to be a leakage, right? So we're seeing more and more of that these days. Having threat hunting as part of a proactive, continuous program, integrating with their existing security measures will help them stay ahead of the threats. We're all uh, looking at threat intelligence, mm -hmm. you know, where the latest vulnerability might impact our critical infrastructure and kind of being, you know, I don't know if you say one step ahead of the game, but at least being mindful of, you know, taking a look at what the intelligence is and then translating that into what you're protecting. Right, and there's a lot of community sharing, more so in the past couple of years than there has been, especially in the threat intelligence space. Um, you know, it works to some degree, just right. sharing indicators, but also, um, you can't rely solely on it. So, you know, we do a lot of things where we try to kind of tease out new nuggets or indicators for actors by understanding the actor, which I think is what you're talking about yeah. in terms of the threat hunting. Uh, so you might know an, an indicator that was in use two months ago by a threat actor, maybe this was a, a C2 or something, right. but they abandoned that IP address right. or that domain two months ago. There are ways to use techniques to follow them through time forward to current time right. to find what, you know, using passive DNS metadata mining, 
flow analysis, things of that nature through time to kind of figure out where they are now. Um, and like you said, understand these threat actors and what are they after? You know, are they financially motivated? Are they targeting like payment card systems? Or are they a nation the state actor or yeah. insiders? Yeah. Right. Doing threat hunting effectively can uncover all kinds of things that are unexpected. So you might find a threat actor that's actually external to you. You might find an insider threat. And that's where a lot of that community sharing helps a lot. So if you're looking at something and you're not sure, sometimes you can ask other people in a lot of these community sharing groups, hey, have you guys you know, seen anything with this uh, right. in the past? And they'll say, oh yeah, we did. It was you know, this type of actor, et cetera, et cetera. So it is very useful. Yeah, so I mean, I think in general, you know, threat hunting is a, it's an interesting concept, but um, like threat intelligence, it's something that you have to be able to mature it, adjust it, making it new because the intelligence changes, the, the routes change, everything changes. I think the key change, is right. structured and repeatable, right? We want right. to make this part of your existing security programs and use this data to feed into your existing SOC and your intelligence actions. The article referred back to that, you know, understanding your basic traffic pattern on your basic way assets are being accessed so that you will find that anomaly, right? So right, right. absolutely. All right, thanks. All right, it's a good story. The internet is an international space, right? So they allow now uh, registrations with domain names that are in Cyrillic and Greek and so it's basically the Unicode character set. So the international domain name attack that we are seeing today which is a flavor of the phishing attack if you will. So what happens here is the attacker is able to lure a regular user who uses a web browser and tricks them into accessing a page that is a very relevant domain looks very legitimate but is not so like if i was a bad guy and i wanted to trick people to go to me i could register yeah. a fake version of apple.com and lure people to go there and when they see it in their browser or even on their phone it looks like it's the real apple.com but in reality maybe a few of these characters were changed right. to be you know a cyrillic a or a greek a ppla blah 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 for most of the browser vendors said okay if it's mixed where you have you know, one language and another language, like the regular English, then we're not gonna show that up here. We're gonna show these, what it really is. And in reality, these internationalized domain names usually start with XN dash dash, and then some characters. Uh, and there is like a translator thing. So this is an example of a Chinese one, XN dash dash uh, S7Y, actually would show in the browser with this um, uh, Chinese uh, character in there. So, this article is specifically about the fact that there's a little bit of um, a little hack around this where if you actually use all characters in a particular language set, so in this example here, these are all actually Cyrillic characters that look almost, well, like they look identical to the, yeah. our English ones, then they will show it as the Unicode format. So that was identified. Google got pretty, um, uh, was pretty quick to respond to it. Uh, they've addressed it in, I think, Chrome 59, and they backported it to 58 as well. Right, and then they said there's a setting in Firefox you can set, right? Yes, there is a setting in Firefox, if you care to do it, where you can um, set your Firefox to display or not display uh, the puny code. So this is a kind of a workaround to help you uh, prevent it in Firefox, because Firefox um, has not addressed it necessarily, not to the same degree that Chrome or Google has with Chrome. Uh, so it's something that you might want to take a look at. But if you work in a large enterprise, this might not be as 
easy to deploy uh, unless you do it with a group policy setting update or something of that nature. What is interesting about this one is it also used the SSL certificate, right? So we are trained to look for a malicious URL to not right. have the HTTPS. So I think this is really targeting that consumer, you know, who uses a regular browser and who's you know, aware probably saying, oh, I just need to make sure it could be a PayPal site tomorrow, right? And you right. put in your credentials. So that's a really good point. So you look in this example here, this is a um, this is not the real apple.com, but it is SSL secure. And they, I think they actually have a picture of it here. Maybe this, this one here, if I can bring it up really quickly, where you can see this is the actual certificate details where this is what it really is registered to, which is the, the puny code name, the internationalized domain name version of it. But in your browser, it looks like apple.com because yep. uh, they're, they're rendering it. Um, as though it was all in that character set, the Cyrillic John, what do you set. think a URL scrubber, like if you clicked on something like this at email, what do you think they would do? It depends. It depends on what you use for your, uh, your, your email filtering. You right. know, Certain vendors probably do a better job than others. The other thing that's Im important about this, I think, is that this first SSL certificate, it had to get registered. So um, you would hope that the registrars of SSL certificates, not necessarily domain names, or even them too, should be kind of looking for this type of squatting yeah. on domain names with these fake internationalized versions to say, hey, we know you're up to some shenanigans here, right. and I don't, we don't like it, so we're not going to allow you to do that. Um, but uh, you know, this, it looks like they just registered this one for a very short period of time, maybe three months or something here. Just a, a interesting kind of technique and one that I didn't really realize if you had put it all in that same character set, it would actually work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And probably there's only certain domains you could do with that technique because not all right, have the letters. And letters I think it depends on the there. whitelist of different of these browser vendors. It might or might not work. So right, right. So in this case, there is a patch that's going to be released next week, like April 25th. So if you never patch your browsers, you probably will not get this update. right? So you wouldn't know about this attack, and you would fall as a victim to the attack. Yeah, keeping your patches updated and also having all the, the usual security um, you know, layers in place, something like a URL detector. I think uh, you know if you have a good URL detector in your email, if you click on a link to a, a you are like this, it should detect it as malicious. Threat actors will always find new ways to trick users. Um, so as soon as they see some means to make a domain name look like a legitimate one, they're gonna try to leverage that. All right, Joe, so I guess we should take a look at the internet weather for this week, even though it's a beautiful day outside. Yeah, I think Not so beautiful on the internet. Oh, we no. actually have something interesting that cropped up this week. Uh, so we'll take a closer look at it. Uh, it's very rare lately that we get much change. There's all these IoT devices, always scanning, telnet, blah, 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 blah. But we did get kind of a new hiccup in, um, in the internet weather. Let's take a look at just the top 10 uh, ports here in general. Telnet, again, 23 TCP on the top, as it's been for probably a year and a half now, as far as I can tell. But in the number two slot, moving up 55 positions from 57 uh, last week, it is uh, 81 TCP, which is an alternate HTTP port. Okay. 
So we're going to take a closer look at that one and what's going mm. on there. In any event, this is pretty much the same thing reflected here. Uh, the only notable difference, in my opinion, is the 53 UDP, which was not reflected. This one also is the most sources probing. So this means there's lots of devices doing this at the same time, which usually indicates there's a botnet behind it. And you'll notice the 81 TCP is in there. I can't so wait to find out more. You can't wait to find out more? Oh, I'm well, so excited. There's, a, there's still a little bit of a mystery, but we'll take a closer look. Uh, the 53 UDP is another one that's a little strange. It went up quite a few positions here. We'll take a look at that chart as well. So let's jump through here. So the first one, 81 TCP, and you can see there's been a really remarkable jump in the number of sources scanning on this. It went from basically nothing for the past 30 days here, 28 days, to about two or three days ago, it went up to about 45,000 or so sources per hour scanning in unison for this. Again, this kind of abrupt start and this decay pattern, start and decay is very indicative of uh, bots receiving instructions, the ones yeah. that have good bandwidth finish sooner um, and whatnot with their tasks. So that's why you kind of see this kind of decay slide off pattern here. When it's 40,000 scan sources per hour and it came from basically nothing, uh, that's pretty significant in terms of there's some big botnet out there. First of all, here is the distribution chart of just one of the hours I just picked kind of at random during those spikes there. It's about 44,000 IP addresses that are involved in the scanning. You see large concentrations in the eastern part of the United States and uh, Mexico area here. Uh, Europe is very hot as well, as well as the Asia-Pac area. I happen to notice that I think Korea, South Korea, not North Korea, uh, showed up with a lot of sources in here, as well as the US, just from my eyeball scanning it. Uh, I don't know what that means necessarily. If there's just, there's probably just more concentration of these types of devices. So then I guess the next question is, well, what are these things? And when I took a look at it, it's kind of interesting because, well, it's a little interesting. Most of the scan sources I see are also listening on port 81, right? So the guys who are involved in this scanning activity are also listening on the same port that they're scanning for. These devices are getting compromised and then they start trying to find more of them more devices like themselves to go compromise as well. There is a web server running here, and not only is it just, um, not as it is a web server, it's a go-ahead web server. Go-ahead web's uh, server is an embedded web server that's really super popular. It's like the most popular embedded web server. So it doesn't really tell us a lot about who the device manufacturer it is, other than the fact that it is some sort of embedded device, probably an IoT type device, similar to all the ones that we see all the time. Yeah. Um, I wasn't able to determine exactly what type of device this is, but I can tell you it's some sort of IoT device. So my guess is somebody found out that there are a bunch of these things hanging out um, on this port and they figured out what the default password is that's commonly used and they're mm. grabbing them. I'm gonna guess, if I had to guess, my gut is telling me it's probably one of those security camera DVR OEM'd versions that go get out there. Hmm. Um, that's just my, I got a vibe. Sometimes so somebody found a vulnerability or a default password on this port 81 that's running this go-ahead web? That's my suspicion. That's probably yeah. the likely scenario here is that they said, hey, here's a whole bunch of ones that nobody's scooped up yet right. into their botnet. Let's just try to scan the internet with the default password that they use and see how many we can get into. It's interesting because we have sort of the mature IoT stuff that's happening on 23, right? Right. That's and been this going is on for sort of like time. the infancy potentially of one particular 
type of IoT vulnerability. Sometimes we see the activity before the news cycle, and maybe there's going to be some big, you know, known vulnerability or known botnet that will follow, and we can, you know, kind of point to where we saw the spike in traffic before anything was really known. Maybe there actually will be a patch or something in this case. Maybe, maybe. but you know, more often than not, these things don't get patched. Yeah, <laughs> this is the problem. That's true. I wish they were more patched often, but you never know. Maybe yeah. we'll find out something different about this. Uh, it's still very early. It's only been happening for about two or three days, so right. I don't have really good information yet. The volume I, is high, though. I mean, you would. Volume is very high. Yeah. That's a lot of devices, and that's per hour. So in reality, it's probably hundreds of thousands of devices yeah. really involved here in this type of activity. So yeah, something to keep an eye on and see how this progresses over the next week or two. Okay. Um, the port 53 UDP, this is kind of interesting too. In terms of the number of scan sources, you know, normally we're down uh, in this level in terms of the number of scan sources. Uh, it's like maybe, what is this, five? It's like, yeah, actually it's pretty low. It's very low. So that's this stuff here? Yeah, so you've got this really low noise floor of scan sources going on. But within the past couple of days here, we've had some really large spikes, you can see. I don't know that it's exactly scanning activity. I don't think it's botnet oriented. I think actually what might have been happening there is uh, a reflective uh, denial of service attack. Most of the scan sources in this time frame here were all clustered in a specific three or four subnets of Brazilian IP space. And when I looked at them and tried to figure out, similar to the last 81 TCP, most of them aren't like showing up as devices that Shodan has scanned or anybody knows about, which makes me think it's fake. Hmm. Um, so this is kind of a, I'm suspecting that what when we're actually- you say actually fake, what do you mean? Spoofed. Spoofed, okay. To us, it kind of looks like hundreds of thousands of scan sources, but it's because they're hitting every single IP. But in reality, it's just one. They're just trying to bottleneck the router in front of all of those. So I suspect what really is happening here is that this might be reflective DDoS and our scan algorithm is getting confused because normally with a DDoS, we see all the stuff going back to like one or two IP addresses, right? But what it looks like they're doing here is they said, we're gonna spoof the source IP address to be a whole, like a whole slash 24. So like some IP address dot one, dot two, dot three, dot four, dot five, dot six, dot seven. So they pick everything in that whole slash, you know, that mm. whole subnet space yeah, yeah, yeah. and they spoof it. But to us, it looks like, hey, there's like a whole bunch of devices now. This right. looks like people scanning. But I don't think that that's what's really happened here. It still works for DDoS because instead of yeah. just hitting one IP, you're still gonna choke like the router where all that stuff has to go through. Um, to, to come back anyway. So I think that was really what was happening here. I'm not sure this is really an increase in devices really scanning. I think it's more of probably confusion. It's yeah. really a reflective DDoS uh, that we're seeing kind of backscatter of in a way. Okay. Um, the 23 TCP, a little interesting. I only have a year shot here. Usually I try to get a longer shot, like three years, because yeah. if you go out three years, you'll see hardly anything way back right, early right. on. Um, we did have, uh, you know, over the last summer, this is like 2016 in the summer here, it was pretty high up and around the 300 to 400,000 scan sources per hour. Uh, but lately it's been kind of trailing down. We're down to like uh, 100,000 scan sources per hour. Uh, I don't expect this to be a sustained pattern. It's kind of interesting that they're trailing down on the 23 TCP scanning. 
I do know that there's a few flavors of botnets out there that have moved on from the telnet stuff and they're scanning other ports. Like we know Mirai is scanning for 7547, which we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, there's a 2332 port that's used by Sierra wireless devices. Um, so there's some other ports out there that they're going after because I guess they, you know, they've already gotten most of these devices right, that yeah. have Telnet running. So here's 7547. This is the one I would say give up already, guys, because the reality is I don't think there's a whole lot of devices to compromise with this. Yeah. I wish they would just quit it on the port 7547 TCP stuff because I think that there's no fruit to harvest on that one anymore. Uh, it seems kind of futile. You can see they did really go, we've talked about this before, around uh, November of last year, they went gangbusters trying to compromise these things. And that uh, was probably related to the Deutsche Telekom outage that occurred back then because uh, they identified some devices that were vulnerable to this. But since then, it's just kind of going in this steady state scan of, you know, maybe uh, 40,000 scan SIPs per hour just continuously scanning. Almost all of these that I've observed are Mirai infected devices. There's lots yeah. of embedded devices with Mirai infections in that. Does what we're seeing with 81, how far up this scale would that, do you remember how, how much it was? Uh, the 81 TCP was about 45,000, so it's about like where oh, these so things are. Where it so it's not, there. yeah, it's not really, um, it's about the same level as these are here. But um, is this a pattern we might see with that traffic where we see this is kind of the spike and then it Possibly, could, yeah. yeah. Uh, it depends. Some, some manifest differently. Uh, we've seen ones that come and go, like the, actually if we had the 53413 UDP one, oh, yeah. that one's interesting That's because, the Netus, right? yeah, the Netus router one, it comes and goes where you'll see patterns where they really go crazy right. trying to recruit new ones and then they go away for like six months and then somebody, they do it again. Huh. So um, it depends on who's trying to exploit devices on those and whatnot. Okay. 5358, still a mystery somewhat. It's, I think I've said it's possibly related to a worm called Hajime. It's H-A-J-I-M-E. And I don't know what we have conclusive. It's really kind of a confusing one because when I look at the flow data for this, it's all SIN-only packets being sent in these flows, which means nobody's answering. Oh. So it's kind of a weird one in that they send tons of traffic scanning the internet, but hardly anybody's responding. Uh, and the responses I have seen are ones where that was really the ephemeral port. It wasn't really part of the real scan. So it's kind of weird. Um, not sure what to make of this one other than somebody's doing something with a decent number of uh, devices for it. So you see, and I think we've determined that they're IoT. You know, when you look at the scan source, you can see that they're um, IoT type devices, just like all these other ones. Again, it's up in that kind of area of 50 to 60,000 scan sources per hour. So it's a significant number of them, but to what end, I haven't been able to figure out yet. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's uh, the weather for this week. Uh, nothing else really to report, but um, some new things in there with yeah. the 81 TCP and that kind of weird 53 UDP uh, reflective DDoS that I think we saw. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the future. Yeah, for sure. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, it's one that we're definitely going to want to keep an eye on. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.